You are now listening to Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gap. Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. <laughs> Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Riding Tree Podcast with your host, Matty Matt, and ready for us will be... Todd Fox. That's right, uh, Gabby Gap won't be able to make it on this episode today, not feeling too well, so uh, it'll just be me and Todd, so if you guys want to leave a comment and hope her, uh, tell, tell her uh, she gets well soon, that would be greatly appreciated, uh, but the two of us will hold it down, and we'll 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 continue as it goes, so... Before we get started, I want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just type in Grinding True Crime Podcast. You can follow our page, like our page, and leave a comment on our page, and uh, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. If you want to listen to us on your podcast streams, you can go to uh, iTunes, Pandora, Podbean, Spotify, uh, Anchor, and then Caster. And if you want to listen to us outside of the U.S., you can continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. Um, excuse me. If you like uh, what you hear and you want to support what we do, you can always leave a donation courtesy of Cash App. Just type in, uh, just download the Cash App app, and you can type in dollar sign Grinding True Crimes, or if you can go to PayPal and just put at uh, Grinding True Crimes. Listener discretion is advised. Uh, we go. We do get into details that can be um, graphic and uh, not suitable for a certain audience. So, okay, I think I got everything. Yeah, I think Thanks. you did. Sounds good. Anything I'm trying to think? No, I think I got it all. So, with all that being said, uh, Todd Fox, you have the floor, sir. Well, thank you, sir. It's going to be a little uh, different today without any kind of uh, wang cutting or anything without uh, Abby here. <laughs> But uh, we'll try to get through this one. So, again, uh, shout out to her. Um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about Gerard John Schaefer. Gerard John Schaefer. Yeah, and just for the story, I'm not going to call him by Gerard. Uh, I'm just going to call him John. It's easier to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Gerard, Gerard. I, I, when I wrote it out, I'm like, man, I'm just going to put John. So Makes sense. Yeah. Um. Well, you know the quote, uh, to protect and serve, that's always all over the police cars and everything else like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, back in the day, because this story is going to take place in the 70s, and you know, back then they didn't have body cams, dash cams, things of that nature, so there was some shady stuff that police often did, you know, because there's been bad cops over the decades, and even now, um, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to be a bad cop nowadays because of all the cameras and stuff, but stuff like this uh, I wouldn't say it was rampant, but it could have taken place, and we may not know about it to this day. What happened? You and Tuggin. Oh, yeah, Tuggin. There you go. <laughs> I was like, why is he laughing? What happened? What's going on? Uh, <laughs> but this Tuggin place in Florida. We're going to be down in Florida. You know what they say about people in Florida? What's that? They crazy. 
Yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, they have a website called Florida Man for a reason. Mm. So of all the crazy stories that take place in Florida. But um, <clears throat> this one's going to be in Martin County in the early 1970s. Now, Martin County at that time had a population of 28,000. And by the, you know, midway through our story, it gained about another 12,000 people. And by 1980, it would be up to 68,000. And currently, it's sitting somewhere around uh, 160 to 170,000 people. So it's definitely um, grown over the years. Mm. So let's talk about uh, John Schaefer now. He was born in 1946 in Wisconsin, a small town called Nina. Um, it was kind of a resort town. You don't think of Wisconsin as a resort town, but it was on the the banks of the uh, of the uh, what's that called over there? The the Great Lakes or whatever. So <clears throat> it was kind of good in the in the summertime. You know, a lot of okay. stuff like that. Um, his parents, uh, you know. Again, they had him uh, early and out of wedlock, and so they didn't really want to get married, and it was a different time back then. So, like, if you had kids out of wedlock, you would have family, friends, anybody, you know, trying to convince you to get married, you know, and a lot of people got married, and they weren't a good couple once you get married because there's a lot of pressure, and things change when you get married as as opposed to being with somebody and living with someone. That's why a lot of people still to this day don't want to get married. They don't want to screw up what they have for whatever reason. That's true. That's true. But back then it was like, oh, you got to do it. You got to do it. So they were kind of forced into getting married, and so that kind of screwed up their, their relationship. And John's father began, as the kids would get a little older, taking it out on John himself. Um, they did. He did have a sister as well, but he realized from a young age that his sister would get preferential treatment from both parents, but mostly the father. And it seemed like no matter what John did, it just wasn't good enough. So, mm. so he was always being, um, you know, constantly belittled or chastised, talked down to by his father, while his daughter or his sister would be, you know, pretty much spoiled with anything mm. she wanted. Yeah. So um, in 1959, at the age of 13, John and his family would move from Wisconsin to Nashville, Tennessee, which is on the east coast of uh, the United States. And um, he, he began to, to get resentment towards women because of his mother and his sister's um, you know, preferential treatment, his mom chastising himself at this time. So what do you think he began to do? Let's see if you can get this one. Resentment towards women. Uh, He's 13. What do you think he starts to do? I'll give you a hint. I, it's sexual. I'm, I'm going to say he starts to be like a peeping Tom or something like that. Mm. Nope. This will go back to some Harvey Glattman stuff. If you've heard of that story that we told about. Um, he starts at 13 fantasizing of tying women up and also gets into his sister's clothing including his mother's stuff and starts erotic asphyxiation on himself what he starts tying himself to like freaking the not the um you know the bar that goes across in your closet to hold up the you know the oh pole. yeah 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 he yeah. starts tying himself to that kind of stuff you know that pole so he starts like borderline bdm uh bdsm correct and also i guess getting off on it as well masturbating while being 
asphyxiated. Well, this is going really, really far left now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, dude, he's, all right. So this is some of the stuff that he's starting to get into. Now, it doesn't say where he gets his hands on it, but he starts getting into hardcore pornographic uh, material. Like, he gets his hands on that kind of material. So he's seeing that what you're talking about, BDSM, women being t- uh, tortured, tied up, spanked, uh, beaten, and he's just getting off on it. He loves it. And he starts doing stuff that nowadays, if you even did a hint of this stuff in school at whatever age, you're going to juvie, you're getting a arrest record, you're getting um, as you know categorized as a sexual predator. And it was all cute and fun in games back in the day. You know, 13, 14 year old, he's kind of small. He's That's cute and fun in games. Well, I mean, like, like how they described it. Like, if you've ever seen, there's a couple movies from the '80s to where they showed kids throwing pennies on the ground because it was like in the, it was depicting the '60s, and they would go to pick up the pennies, but it'd be behind a woman. So they would, as they go to pick up the pennies, they turn around real quick and look up the woman's dress, and oh, he was yeah, yeah. he was doing stuff like that in in junior high to girls, and yeah. and he and he would drop his pencil at a school desk you know how they have the four desks to get together or whatever you're mm-hmm. yeah and he would go down to get his his pencil supposedly and he'd be staring right at girls panties mm. and that was just like hey knock it off kid <laughs> you know that's all it was. <laughs> just a little slap on the wrist <laughs> yeah exactly hey you stop it now you kid stop it now stop looking at panties <laughs> But I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's pretty much turning into a little sexual deviant, dude, or he already is. And this is in the 50s, right? You say he was born in 49? Yeah, he was born in 46. This is 59 oh, turning into yeah. 1960. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, But in 1960, um, they moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Mm. So... They leave the Nashville area because the father got a job down there. <clears throat> now, here's here's where things change, though. You know, like like he starts to attend high school in 60, 61, 62. And all of a sudden, those sexual desires that he had been doing kind of faded away. Like he got wrapped up in his sports. He got really good in sports. He started to run track. His father, for the first time, started showing signs of hey i want to start hanging out with you i want to spend time with you and he got him into guns and hunting and um fishing so he began to grow at this time too he turned in uh, he was six feet at this time he had blue eyes long brown hair and it seemed like just everything was coming together and maybe that part of his life was just a weird abnormal phase you know he he even started getting good grades. So at this point, you're thinking to yourself, <clears throat> wow, man, like this is a redemption story. What are you talking about this guy for? I mean, like he's, he's, you know, turning into a good kid, right? Yeah. Sounds like. Yeah. So um, he, he began to, you know, hunt with his father a lot and everything else like that through high school a little bit. But then his father started to get back into drinking a bit and talking crap to him and he got tired of it, so he found some other friends around the neighborhood who liked to hunt, and he went out hunting with them. Now, here's where it changes once again. Oh, Lord. Yes. 
Several of his hunting buddies later on would say that he would shoot animals for the hell of it. They were more into hunting and sort of gathering, bringing the food back to their home. Their mom maybe cut it up or they got the, the animal. Maybe their dad would grill it or whatever because they were into like deer and stuff like that around the area, right? Mm-hmm. He was just shooting at anything and trying to kill anything, whether it was a frog, whether it was a, you know, a gator, snake, whatever. He's just shooting to kill. And the problem is he would sexually violate these dead animals. Good. No way. Yes. Like, not with his penis, but he would start, you know. Like, grab a stick or something. Yes, violating the animals. Yes. So, this brought back now thoughts. And this is all according to not only witnesses, but his journal. And and keep in mind, the journal will be a big part of this story moving forward. Mm. So, he starts writing down all kinds of stuff in his journal. And he starts talking about how these animals were sort of a gateway into thinking about the things he wanted to do to women. You know? He still has those thoughts, huh? They started to come back, yes. And um, he started to get magazines once again. Like Playboy or something? No, more hardcore stuff. Like that hardcore torture stuff. Now, here's another thing that changes, though. He met a girl halfway through high school, about sophomore, almost junior year, by the name of Sandra. Not the kind of Sandra that we know. <laughs> Not the one that talks like this. This is a different Sandra Dude, altogether. No lie. As soon as you said the name, I, I said he's, he's going to say it. <laughs> yeah, he's going to do the voice, damn it. I know he is. That is like an inside joke of all inside jokes. But uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a a drunken woman that we like to talk about. Stop it, man. (laughs) Get back to the story. (laughs) A regrettable ex of mine. Let's just say that. (laughs) She used to talk like this when she was drunk. Stop it, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on. Let's get back to the story. Moving (laughs) on. So this... Sandra was not like the Sandra I know. She was actually very <laughs> chaste. <laughs> she was religious and she did not drink. <laughs> wow, everything. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to I had to go there. Um she was well respected too, so that's another difference. And Good uh, Lord. <laughs> oh, this, I, 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 this ain't gonna stop. Okay, I'll stop it now. I promise. I promise I'll stop. <laughs> Let's get to the story. Okay, so <laughs> she um she was the only one that he didn't consider a whore or useless. <clears throat> so he stuck with her for a while, <clears throat> and um, everything was good. But then she broke up with him, and she yeah, was. I wonder why. Yeah, and she would, and, and she moved on to college, whereas he didn't have a plan. But he would then quickly. Uh, see someone that was just like Sandra in the name of Martha Fogg. And the two began a relationship and they began to, to uh, you know, uh, they, they began to get together, date, and all of a sudden in 1968, he wound up marrying her at the age of 22. And Ooh. she was 21, so the two got married pretty young. And uh, 
he would say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go on a hunting trip. And so, so not allowing her to know what he was up to, he would then go into the you know forest or or the 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 shrubbery or wherever the animals were and he began to strangle himself and and like do the erotic asphyxiation tie himself to a tree um you know take pictures of himself in women's clothing a lot of stuff that the btk killer would do years later he was doing back then so he would also get involved in the Catholic religion and try to move himself up at the same time. So like <clears throat> he's seeing things that are detestable to him. Like, like he didn't like women that were prostitutes. He didn't like uh, women that were loose, did drugs or drink, but here he is, you know, doing things or thinking about doing things to these women. Um, so it was like, you know, he's mixed up in the head. Mm-hmm. And so he Hypocrite. exactly. So he's trying to he's trying to move up in the church, and the church is not allowing him to. They see that he's a little bit weird. the 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 morals aren't the same. What you know? What what the um he he's just he's just not really um what they're he's looking off. for. Yeah, he's a little bit off, and the church can 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 see that <clears throat> to their credit. So in that same year that he's married to um, Fogg, um, his parents come to visit and they announce at the visit that they're getting a divorce. So keep this in mind as well as the journal is every time there's a life event that takes place Mm -hmm. that throws him off a little bit, Mm -hmm. somebody somebody gets hurt and pays the price. Yeah. So the self-harm um started to come into place as well um he threw himself off a little bit he was frustrated with the church his parents um you know uh you know that they they were basically he was just having troubles you know coping with everything coping with everything happening yeah and so he used to have you know although dating a girl that girl Sandra, he had a crush on his neighbor Lee Hayline, who used to live Lee next. Hayline. Yeah, she used to live next to him as a as a neighbor, and um, they went to school together. Everything else like that. <clears throat> and um, when all this stuff had happened with his parents, you know, she she was a uh, you know about twenty four, twenty five at this time, and uh, she was a little bit older than him. And uh, he was approaching 23 or 24 at the time. And um, it started to, he started to fantasize more and more about doing things to her like he did in high school. And, and like he, you know, now it's like thinking sexual too or, or, or sadistic. And she had been, um, her parents had moved away and she was 25. She inherited the house and she was married now at this time. And um, she was a local server at one of the restaurants. Mm-hmm. But now, as they're all grow grown up at this time, something to this day had been debated, which is we'll get into later on. She disappeared mm. and was never seen again. Ooh. Her well, body, yeah, her body was never found. And this is shortly after you know his parents announced that stuff, and he did a little self harm, and 
he was kind of lost up in his feelings, she disappeared. Her husband at first was was uh, put under the microscope as someone that would, you know, they always blame the husband first. <clears throat> yeah. And um, later on, we'll find out that once they do do a background on him and they find out, uh, get a search warrant, they would find one of her lockets in his possession. Really? That she used to wear, yeah. But at this time, he's never been. He was never um, accused, or, or um, you know, was was a uh, someone that they were thinking about could be responsible for her her disappearance. Person of interest. Yeah, it was never a person person of interest, and um, they didn't have any body. Wow. So, yeah. So she she was pretty much gone, and we'll we'll get into that later on. Um, but yeah, uh, she, police believe that that was his first or one of his first victims. Could have been an alien. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is Florida, right? <laughs> she could have disappeared. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Again, we're not laughing at the victim. Don't. Yes. Let's get that straight. Yes. Not laughing at the victim. It's the voice. It's the it's voice. Joke. Yes. The voice. Uh, so in 1969, he was um, he was fired from his job as a part-time high school teacher due to poor performance because he got into to teaching as well. He tried to be a substitute teacher. Um, he was not focusing too good. His ego hit him, and um, as he had been working for a, a, you know at, at the age of 23 as a teacher, <clears throat> he fell off the rails again. That was a second. Second issue, a big ego hit for him and a big life adjustment now because now he has to find another job. But in the meantime, while he was fired in Fort Lauderdale area a month later, um, uh, you know, after he was fired, the, a 22-year-old cocktail waitress by the name of Carmen Marie Halleck uh, became mi- missing. And she did not say Carmen San Diego. No, not Carmen San Diego. But uh, she she did not make uh, her uh, her appointments, her job, and um, her friends from work went to her apartment to check on her, and a bathtub was filled with water, uh, but nobody was there. Her belongings were all there, and she hadn't been seen for a few days. Oh wow, that's weird. Yeah. So when police investigated, they said that prior to her disappearance. She was seen at another restaurant in town where she was with a, uh, you know, with a man that fit the description of John. Now, they didn't know who John was, but the description that the police took down from the witnesses would match John's description and the car that he was driving at that apparent time. She had been wearing a black dress with high heels and appeared to be on the date with this gentleman. And that was the last time she was seen. So, you know, detectives and also uh, newspapers at the time, uh, journalists were were trying to uh, piece it together, but uh, no one ever found her. Um, And again, this is this is something that would be debated for a long time. But in his journal and we'll get into that journal because there's a lot. I mean, this this case is going to piss you off later on. But when they found his journal later on. He would talk about taking a girl who was in a black dress with high heels. He would not name her, 
But he said that he took her to the Everglades, blindfolded her, and he said that they had been prior on prior they were on a date, and he took her, like I said, to the Everglades, blindfolded her. He had a small like step ladder, three feet tall, and he had her stand on it while she was she was bound with um, uh, material like bed sheeting in her, around her mouth or in her mm-hmm. mouth. Mm-hmm. Her arms behind her, handcuffed, and she had a noose around her neck, around a tree, and there was a rope tied to the bottom of the step ladder to the back of his car. And he taunted, okay. yeah. After sexually assaulting her, he had her in that stance and got in the car and would taunt, revving the engine, and then turning the car off to then taunt her some more than revving the engine again because knowing he explained everything and she was blindfolded that once he stepped on the gas and the car would take off she would be left there to hang so imagine yourself in that situation as the victim and he's taunting you left and right and you at any second you can die because once the step ladder goes out you're that's torture yeah you're at the mercy of the rope yeah, that's torture. Yeah. So, what do you think he does after this situation? Do you, do you think he goes along with what he's telling the girl? And what do you think happens next? I think he goes along with it. Okay. I think he does. I think he goes along with it. What do you think he does with the body? I think somehow uh, he keeps it and continues to torture it because he already has the experience with with the dead animals as far as torturing them when they were dead. So I think he keeps the body for himself and torture. Two for two, my man. Two. Yeah. Two. <laughs> yeah. And and again, you're celebrating the two for two. You're not celebrating what happens. I'm not celebrating the two for two. I mean, I'm celebrating the two for two, not for what happened. Yeah, exactly. It's sad that we have to do that disclaimer, but we'll do it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know I know you, so. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but here's what happens. Um, unfortunately, this this woman, she meets her end. He eventually does rev the engine and pulls uh-huh. the stepladder from out under her. She strangles and her either her hopefully her neck broke fast and I only say that because I don't want I, you know I I wish that she didn't suffer but we'll suffer. never we'll never know you know hopefully her end came quick I mean it was bad enough she was sexually assaulted and and the the fear that she must have felt but hopefully her death was instant to where she didn't suffer because some people can hang for minutes at a time mm-hmm. before they actually before, die before that neck break yep. But um, this gets worse because you were unfortunately right. He becomes that necrophiliac and he sodomizes her when she's dead. He then rapes the body multiple times during the night. What? And not only that, he would leave her body in the brush um, where it was hidden. But the next two to three nights, he would return to then abuse the corpse. That's just sick, man. Yep. Um, he would then, in his journal, he's depicting all this. I've left a lot out, 
but he says a whole mess of dirty stuff. But in one of the parts uh, at the end, finally, he takes the body, shoves it into a canal, uh, you know, a canal pipe that drains out towards the ocean. But before he does that, he takes her panties that were soiled as a souvenir, <sighs> which the police would find later on and test for DNA not too long ago. This guy isn't sick. Yeah. Um. So he writes all this stuff in there and, and so so this is like <laughs> this is stuff that should be getting him you know caught at this time or at least <laughs> with later but just keep that in mind you know he goes into very much detail but we don't and, and, and even on this woman they find a shamrock pin later on when they do the investigation mm-hmm. keep in mind again find a shamrock pin from this woman the panties and spoiler alert later on, he's not charged for this murder. What? Yeah. Including two of her teeth. What? Were found. And he didn't get charged for it? Yeah. Did oh, not get man. charged for this one. I gotta hear the rest of this. Oh yeah. Yeah, because I mean this is this is something to where even the most Johnsons of Johnsons <laughs> are like, hey, you know, those could be anybody's teeth. And then like the <laughs> The freaking DNA scientist Johnson's like, well, I think those belong to that woman, but uh, now nah, I don't think he's guilty. You know, like she could have just lost her teeth because she liked a lot of candy. Like I don't just fell it. right out. Yes, yeah, fell right out. He's just unlucky, man. He just found her. He found her underwear with teeth in them. Oh my goodness! Someone is trying to frame this young man. Put their teeth. Wait, wait, what's that episode of Dave Chappelle? Hey, uh, let's just sprinkle some crack on them and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. They was like, just put the teeth in their pocket and just call it a day. Yeah, exactly. Come on, man. You can't make this stuff up. You can't. I mean, this is just terrible policing at the time. And um, But it all goes back also to the prosecution. Because the prosecution, um, we'll get into that. They for whatever reason, whether they thought it was going to cost more money or was this going to be more work, they refused to get him on more of these charges later. And it's going to piss you mm. off. Mm. But really, how much more do you need of evidence? I mean, you could have closed. Oh, that's it. it. That's that's all you needed. Yeah, because un- unfortunately, when you don't do this in the court of law, these cases are technically open. Mm-hmm. He could be suspected all he wants and be the main suspect, but who else are you looking for at this at this moment? Mm-hmm. Some freaking f- almost fifty years later, you know what I mean? Mm. So he did everything in this damn journal, <clears throat> and the sexual urges and the things that he was doing were now taking over his life. So he had no sense of direction. Um, he would he would uh, again get his wife's clothing, get get some more clothing from the stores start going off on these quote-unquote hunting trips, but he was taking pictures of himself in bras and panties and dresses. He would be cutting himself. He'd be trying to erotic asphyxiation again. Um, This guy was off the deep end, okay? And all the while (laughs) that he's doing this, he's Mm. reapplying for more jobs as a school teacher, and he got it one. What? Yes, he got one. And he began to be a substitute teacher for a good six weeks until he was fired again because he was so out of his mind as far as not being able to focus 
with the high school kids, he was teaching the wrong curriculum. Like he was like in a math class teaching English almost, you know? Well, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's arriving late to class and you know, you can't do that. You working in the school system yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's frowned upon just by that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at least consider falsifying time. Exactly. So, I mean, at least, I mean, if you're a school teacher and you, you don't know the curriculum, just freaking put on a tape, you know, back in the 70s, watch a movie. You know what I mean? Like, kill some time that way. I agree. And you know what's crazy? Nowadays, you can't watch movies like we used to in school unless it's something educational and you have to pause it every so many 15 minutes or 15 and 20 minutes and give a lecture. You can't watch a full movie straight in school anymore. Yeah, and that's crazy, huh? Because you can't. Crazy. You can't just bring in the, the TV on the cart, pop in a VHS, and like you said, and plus, you never know what offends a kid nowadays. Mm. So it's like, oh, I can't have chocolate. Charlie and Chocolate Factory, that offends me. You know, <laughs> the most innocent things you can't show. <laughs> Time to turn it off, Charlie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Go to bed, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> you get nothing. Um <laughs> But uh, here's the thing. So with all this stuff happening, another life lesson or another big life event happened. And him getting terminated from the six weeks of being a substitute teacher set him off the rails again to now Mm. not killing someone. He actually thought about killing himself. Oh. So Martha Fogg, his wife, um, reported him to, to the police because she was scared for him because she saw writing that he wanted to take his life and so the police committed him on a 5150 which is you know somewhere mm-hmm. it's a 72 hour hold and at the end of the 72 hours a psychiatrist that evaluate you during the time either recommend you for more time in psychiatry or or send you to a mental hospital or or prescribe you medicine if you're you know well enough to be on your own or they say hey he's cool mm-hmm. uh, they wound up keeping him and um, he would stay and, and, uh, and, and be, you know, and, and, and get the help that he supposedly needed. Um, while he was away, um, Martha began to look through more of her, you know, or, or his journals and began to see some of those troubling writings. Now she didn't turn those over to the police. Like she should have. What? She didn't. Right. And, and that's that's crazy because it's like, you know, he he's writing everything in detail. I would have been like, hey, nah, I gotta send this over. This, yeah, this. You would think the writings in itself would be enough, right? Mm-hmm. But you know what offended her? Mm. <sighs> the fact that he raped a girl while they were dead. Nope. Because she mm-hmm. thought those were stories. That just twisted stories that he was writing. Are you serious? Yes. The thing that offended her was the pictures of himself in women's clothing. Not only her clothing, with, but with sexual toys that she used on herself that he was now using on himself. Are you freaking kidding me? Yep, she divorced. That him. was the most offensive thing. Yeah, she filed for divorce because of that. What? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Grant. Okay, I get it. I would understand, but that was the most. Yeah, man. Sometimes. 
Yeah, and they had an inner circle of friends. Oh, go ahead. Because I'm sure, I'm sure if, if if I wrote in my journal, and I and, and I took I had pictures of me cross dressing or whatever and stuff like that, I'm sure Jack Gabby would be like, yeah, that yeah, it's pretty much that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like even nowadays, I mean, that, this was 1970s. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this is this is the beginning of 70s, and and like that stuff was not uh, that was taboo big time. That was very taboo. Yeah, so nowadays is you know it's open. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? Maybe Gabby's like, well, he does pull off that skirt. You know well. what, man? <laughs> <laughs> to each his own. No. <laughs> to each his own. <laughs> Look, she's waving her finger like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she'd probably be like off with his wing, <laughs> or maybe he wants his wing gone. Who knows? You know what, man? Let's get back to the story. God dang it. <laughs> Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> so, so they had a group of friends, and um, he would, you know, she would until he got out. She was telling everybody, "Hey, you know what? Like, he's into some weird stuff. I, I can't be by a guy like this." And she was actually keeping it PG. She never mentioned the journals or nothing. And his ego took a hit. He came out once he found out that she dumped him and was filing for divorce. He's like, oh, I was never really attracted to her. Look at her. She's not all that. And he was just talking Mm -hmm. crap about their sexual incompatibility. Mm. So he blamed that. Mm. So. Deflect. Yeah. And, and And here's the thing right here. Here's another twist to this story. Because there's several twists. But this twist right here is weird because we don't have any kind of account of what the hell he was doing. And if he got into any kind of trouble, but there's no journal writings about this. But for a good five months or so, he left after the divorce was filed to, of all places, North Africa. North Africa? North Africa. Hmm. And nobody knows what he was doing out there. There was speculation, though, that he was a, some so, some sort of security guard or bodyguard for somebody, because that's what he got into when he came back. But he was in Africa, and nobody knows. Like like people suspect he might have killed a few people over there. Possible. But for whatever reason, there is proof he went to North Africa, but we don't know what he did. So, because immediately when he comes back to Nor- uh, Florida. Uh, in late 1970, close to 1971, he becomes a security guard and he's already fully registered and everything. Mm. So, very weird, right? Mm-hmm. So he comes North back, Africa. Yeah, North Africa, dude. I mean, that's that's weird. That's a, that's a long flight. That is. <clears throat> but he comes back and gets a reputable job, like, right away. And he's got a nice uniform. He almost looks like a police officer. And there's certain women that back in the day would just fawn over a police officer. And one of them was young Teresa Dean, who was in her mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And she fell head over heels for the six-foot-one, you know, strapping young man in a freaking badge and blue eyes. So a uniform. Yep. So later that year, they got married. Mm. And um, she... The reason why he loved her so much is Teresa was super, super submissive. And she doted on him. He could do no wrong. Um, So then he turned into the lovey-dovey type since she was so loyal to him. He would take her on dates. Um, She never ridiculed him. They never argued. 
um, she had the highest respect for him. And to him, this was like a perfect relationship because she never questioned him like his ex about his hunting trips. Sort of like that um, that movie, uh, what was it called? Um, the uh, the one where the two guys got together and they went on hunting trips all the time. Um, World Black Mountain? There know. you go. Yeah. You got <laughs> that it. one? Yeah. You, oh. know how, you know how in the movie they would go and... I didn't watch that movie, sir. I'm sorry. Well, uh, I did. Okay. Oh, <laughs> did it for homework. No, I was kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I watched the movie. All right, I'll admit to it. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> hey, I ain't judging you, man. Okay, I, okay. I watch Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> if you could say that, I could say this. So leave me alone. <laughs> so, um, so he went out and um, in the movie they went out together, obviously, and they said they were going on fishing trips. But then they're, you know, one of his one of the wives of the dudes would be like how come you never come back with fish? Which was a funny, funny thing in the story was the same one with this. Like he'd go on hunting trips and fog his previous, you know, ex-wife would always be like, how come you ain't bringing home food home? How come you, you know, you must be a terrible um, hunter, you know? And, mm. and she'd ridicule him and talk crap about and, and pretty much just like, be like, how come you were long, you know, gone so long, blah, blah, blah. This chick never did that. So if he came back with food or not, came back with anything or not, she didn't care. She was just glad to see him. So he loved that about her. You know, she mm. never questioned anything that he did, you know. So this would be the end of the story, you know, happily ever after they, they lived on. And, right. Nope. So mm. <laughs> at the same time, he's enjoying his relationship with her. Um, and he's probably got a couple murders under his belt at this time. He applies for, of all things... The Brower County Police Department. And at the age of 26, he gets a job with Wilton Manors Police Department, which is a small uh, town outside of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Do they know who they just hired? Nope, because again, this is the 70s and there is no real background checks. And at this time, it's like, hey, can you hold a gun? Yeah. All right. You're hired. I heard you say I. (laughs) That's all it is. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, can you drive a cop car? I wish it was that easy now. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Now there's standards now. Yeah, standards now. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, they, they, um, and and here's the thing too. Um, Hindsight being what it is, and you know when like you say, hey, you know what? you, you find someone that breaks up with someone because one of my friends that uh, that uh, I don't think you know, but uh, he was part of the other podcast and they got they went through a divorce. And it was one of those things where everyone told him, yeah, she was kind of a douche to you. And, and like everyone, you know, when it's all over, they were telling him he was telling me he's like, man, he goes, everyone's telling me. Yeah, they saw those signs. It's like, how come never, no one ever told me this when we were together? I'm like, because it's rude to it <laughs> is rude. I <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I know that's I know that feeling, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's like it's like you you don't want to say something to him, but it's like in the in the same sense you're like, well, you know, we can kind of see this coming. And he was like frustrated by that, and in this story, I kind of think of it as the same way because there was fellow police officers that would after all this went down were like, hey, you know, he kind of like brought up some red flags, like he was openly talking about having anal sex and oral sex with his wife. He was showing us pictures of himself in drag. He was showing other oh. women tied up. And oh. nobody said anything. Yeah, that's a red flag right there, man. 
<laughs> Everyone's like, ah, that's just John being John. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> why are you openly telling your boys that you, you know, you doing your thing with your wife and this, that, and third, man? Like, keep that to yourself, brother. I, exactly. I mean, it's not proper in any kind of sense of imagination in any kind of workplace, let alone like in your own house if you have buddies over. I'm not telling you, hey, man, you know what me and the wife did? It's like, no. Yeah, I mean, like, you could joke around like, man, last night me and wifey, yeah, we had we had some fun. If you know what I mean? Okay. I, yeah. Yeah, you fist bump and it's over with. Yeah, you fist bump and like, hey, my man, there you go. But <laughs> yeah, last night, I, uh, you know, I, had, I put my thing in her butt. And the, come on, <laughs> hey, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. I mean, he's showing pornographic stuff to other uh, other officers. It's like, bro, you're of the highest level of of you know, you're a police officer, you're a government yeah. official. Yeah, you should be doing that. You're the law. <laughs> yeah, and he's over here. It's like he probably got so normal to some of his fellow cops. It's like, it's like, uh, hey, did you hear what John was talking about earlier? As they're <laughs> sipping on coffee, he's like, yeah, he was just uh, doing his wife in the butt again. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's oh, Wednesday. Was definitely the topic of, uh, of subjects uh, uh, and talks in, the, in their uh, coffee coffee break room. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Or or he just walked up and he's like, oh, man, my back's hurting. You know, got too much oral sex last night. Oh, okay. How's, how the Braves doing? <laughs> it's like, come on now. Jesus. Yeah, so uh again, there's um <clears throat> there's all sorts of stuff happening at this time as well because as good as it was at home, John just couldn't keep it together for very long. For uh, some reason I thought you were going to say he couldn't keep it up, but uh, no, my bad. Oh no, apparently he's <laughs> keeping it up. There was no talk about yeah, it. I see. <laughs> yeah. But this guy kept it going um a Belinda Richards at uh she was a 22-year-old sex worker but not your typical sex worker. She looked like a model and she was a professional escort. She was married with a son. Oh and, wow. And her husband was very much like, "Hey, you go make that money, girl." And she did. Oh, he was a modern he was a modern day pimp. Well, he didn't exactly she ran it herself, but he was a stay-at-home dad while she worked hard as a freaking escort. Oh, she was working hard. Yeah, she jeez. Oh, uh, I'm just saying she was working hard till it got soft. Yeah. Uh, sorry, you, you you lobbed it up there, man. I'm sorry. And you dunked it. Exactly. Thank you. White man can jump. Um, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so, um, she she was making good money, and and she was doing her thing. And lo and behold, um, you know, John used his police uh, badge as a way to talk to her because he saw her, um, you know getting with a client he felt that you know she was doing something illegal thought he would let her know <clears throat> gave her the whole rap but then said hey you know what maybe we should hang out sometime and they started a relationship mm. so he would he would pay her but also like they were in a relationship as well so and the husband was okay with it again because she was making money and stuff like that but she wasn't telling her husband that she was kind of seeing him so in 1973 Belinda went on a date and said goodbye to her husband, said she was going to get back, and she got into a Datsun, which was the car that he drove at the time, a blue Datsun, and, uh, you know, the family thought that she was going to be back later that night. Well, she disappeared, mm. and um, when the police went to investigate, um, they chalked it up because of her being a sex worker. 
as well. She probably got on drugs or probably met somebody else and said, screw the family, I'm not coming back. And they just wrote it off, dude. Mm. And the husband was pissed because the husband's like, look, she wasn't a, uh, she was a professional. She was an escort, not a prostitute. Number one, the police were like, it's the same thing. (laughs) And then they were like, she, and he told them like, dude, she was not on drugs. She was straight edge. You know, she didn't even have a tattoo, nothing. She was straight edge, but she, you know, did the, the, the escort thing. And she not always had sex with her clients. Sometimes it was literally for dates. And mm-hmm. um, and, and just to make the, the older man look, you know, prominent or that he had a woman, you know, some people will, p- will pay these women just to take them out on dates, you know, to, to show off in front of their friends. But unfortunately, even to this day, women uh, that work the sex worker jobs are dehumanized by police and detectives. Mm. So it was the same thing back in the day. And um, she was she was um, <clears throat> never never found either but in his journal he wrote of a belinda who was an escort that he tortured and later killed so her her body was never found yep so finally in that same year he had some issues with the sheriff or the police, um, the chief of police of Wilton Police Department. Mm-hmm. And there were some issues that went on with um, uh, a drug house that they had entered or something. And he had gotten into all kinds of trouble with the, with the, uh, the chief of police and he was fired. <clears throat> but this is before background checks, computers and all that other stuff. And the, you know, government jobs being so hard to get into, he wrote himself a letter of recommendation in his former police chief's handwriting and falsified records. Mm. And he took it to the sheriff of um, a neighboring police station in Fort Lauderdale, and he was immediately hired. Mm. So, again, we're going to we're going to back up a little bit because. That was in 1973, but in 1972, we have another date. So in in between what happened to Belinda, here's one that we will, um, that we will get into because this is what started another mess. Schaefer and Wood encountered two hitchhikers while he was on patrol by the name of Nancy Ellen Trotter, 18 and Paula Sue, 17. Um, he was by the beach area. It was a really hot day in South Florida, and he noticed that they were hitchhiking. So he went over and used his badge and said, hey, this is illegal. Hitchhiking is dangerous. Um, you don't want to be picked up by someone that's going to do harm to you. So he's basically describing himself. Pretty much. Yep. So he came off really nice to these girls. He said, where do you guys live? And they're like, in Stewart. And he's like, well, damn, that's a 45-minute drive. You're going to be in someone else's car for a long time. That's very dangerous. I'll tell you what. I'm going to be getting off here in about another hour. I'll come back. I'll take you guys home. And uh, that way you, I know you guys got home safe and sound. So he stood up to his word, and he drove them back to their homes. Okay. So what do you think happened next? I'm going to say he 
force them to let him, you know, at gunpoint and got inside their home and tied them up, raped them, and then killed them. Nope. <clears throat> oh. What happened is he told the girls, look, you know, they know they knew how old he was and stuff. He was just, you know, by this time, like 20, 25, 26. He's like, I'll be by tomorrow. Um, and, you know, I'm off work tomorrow, technically, or I'm on call. Um, I'll come pick you up in my Datsun, and I'll show you a really nice area to, to hang out at the beach. You know, because he was talking with them the entire time home, so he got he got pretty, you know, he got their confidence and, and, and trust. And so to them, they were like, well, he's a police officer. He's not, you know, we could, we could, we could go with this, you know? So they're like, yeah. we, we can get back to the beach on consecutive days in the, in the summer. Hell yeah. Let's go for it. So <laughs> he picked both girls up again the next day. And again, yeah. his wife is not, you know, he'll say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be out. I'll be back later. And she's all, all right. Like she didn't question him. <laughs> So <clears throat> he picks both of them up, takes them down to this beach, but sort of secluded. And he goes down to an area that has like an old shack. And they're like, hey, the beach is the other way. And he's like, oh, I just want to show you something. So then they start making fun of him because they're like, oh, I think you're lost. This, this and that. <clears throat> he gets mad. And all of a sudden he grabs one of them, puts them in handcuffs before the other girl can run off too far. He catches up with her, puts her in handcuffs. And then he asked them, how much would your parents pay for ransom right now? And he starts taunting them and he's trying to scare them, but they're kind of like a little more mature to where they're like, you know what? We're not going to let you scare me. You know, we don't figure you're going to go too far because you're a police officer. Until he comes, until he gets mad and he comes back with torn pieces of sheets and rope. Ooh. Yeah. He gagged both of them first off. Then he took Nancy away first into the brush and made her stand about a good like 50 to 60 yards away from the other girl. And he puts her on a stump, ties rope around her neck <clears throat> to a tree to where she has to be on her tippy toes. And because if she's not, she starts hanging by an inch. She's going to hang herself. Mm-hmm. So she's she's feeling like, oh, crap, this guy's going to try to kill me. He starts to grope her, fondle her. And again, this is going to get kind of graphic. He he starts to rape her, you know, either with objects or with himself. Ugh. And he finished with her and decided, I'm going to go over to Nancy. And um, or, or um, or he went he went for Sue as he left Nancy hanging. So Nancy was hanging. He went back for Sue, who was still <clears throat> um, in handcuffs and on the floor. And um, he then did the same thing to her got her into position but as he was about ready to start groping her and doing the same things he did to nancy his car walkie-talkie went off and he got an emergency call to come and help with some sort of assistance in town there was a something major going on they needed everybody that was on duty off duty to come down and check it out excuse me so he then laughed tied her up like he's the same way and said, I'll be back for you too. And don't go, don't go. Uh, or, or he literally said a joke about, um, want you guys hang around for a bit. I'll be back. Mm. Like what a piece of crap, right? Scum. So now realizing that John took off, 
they decide, you know, the girls, to their credit, Nancy got loose by using her teeth to rip apart. They had a good hour to get through the ropes, still handcuffed. They got through the ropes and she was able to somehow get out of the noose as well. And, and same thing happened with Sue, but they didn't know where each one was and both being gagged and not able to, you know, fully get the thing out of their mouth as their hands were tied. They used the, I mean, somehow, some way they weren't able to communicate with each other, not knowing, I don't know if it was gags or whatever, but it would seem that if they used their teeth, they were able to get out of it. So I'm not sure about that part of it. Those, those details are kind of fishy, mm-hmm. but they both went different ways. So Sue ran up to the nearest road that she could find. And she stumbled across a truck driver who would take her to a truck stop. And she knew John's name and said, call the police, but don't allow this officer to come. He's the one that did it. Nancy found a river and floated down the river. And as she's floating down the river, um, John comes back. And John, John realizes that there's only binds and restraints left over. And he's like, oh, crap, I screwed up. And he's like, let me call the sheriff Crowder uh, and, and tell him that I screwed up and that I made a mistake. And, you know, I tried to t- he, he came up with an idea of telling the sheriff that he saw two girls that were hitchhiking. He wanted to teach him a lesson. So he tied them up and then he got the call. When he came back, they were gone. So he's trying to cover his tracks, basically. Mm hmm. So what happens is <clears throat> Gerard get at the same time that Gerard John is calling his sheriff, the sheriff gets a call about a girl at a truck stop. So another deputy goes over there, checks on the girl at the truck stop, and then Sheriff Crowder's like, "Holy crap, I got to go find the other girl." And as he's tr- he's a, as he's out there with a couple other sheriffs looking for the other girl, she turns up uh, climbing up a, a ravine to another highway and she happens to come on to the side of the highway as the sheriff is coming down the street with his lights on and she flags him down and he's able to get her side of the story so he actually oh, comes wow. across, yeah he comes across nancy as well and they were both handcuffed still right they were both still handcuffed yes and they weren't blinded right they didn't have anything over their eyes right uh well at the time they were somehow able to get the blindfolds off got it got it, got it. okay yeah but I don't know. I mean, I still it still is not specified how they were able to get the the um, the the bindings around their mouth off and stuff like that. But apparently they did. And so while he's conf- uh, you know getting the story from her, detectives are now getting the story from the other girl. The you know the sheriffs are investigating, and they they wind up as John comes back to the police station or the sheriff station, he's arrested and fired on the spot. So mm. you think the end of the story, right? Yeah. What do you think happens now? Well, you say he got arrested and fired on the spot. So, you know, they, they book him, book him down, and uh, they charge him. He posted Bell. Mm. Bell was only $15,000. Mm. And not only did he post Bell, but he had a court date that was going to be scheduled for two months later, or for months later, actually. Mm. And his, so 
So he's walking scot-free. He's walking scot-free at this time because they don't have they don't have enough to keep him in jail. Like because yes, there was a sexual assault, but this is before DNA. Um there was no semen left. So you could find like pubic hairs and stuff like that or saliva and with today's technology, but they didn't have that back then. And it was he, he said, she said, and although there was two witnesses to the crimes and they were both bound and everything else like that, all they could charge him with was kidnapping. And back then in Florida, kidnapping was not as um, serious of a crime as it is today. Where mm. where some where most of the time today, you kidnap somebody against their will, hold them against their will, you could be facing 20 to life, whether mm. you torture them or not, in some cases. And his, uh, Teresa, his loyal wife, stood by him the whole time, believed his story, and said it was a misunderstanding. Wow. And the district attorneys did not prosecute to the fullest extent. That's why the bail was so low. And they did not take the sheriff's uh, warnings of him being a danger and for him to get a psychiatric evaluation. They said, no, he doesn't need that. Hmm. Nor did they check his background. They would have found out that he had been in trouble for this before and had behavior of this before. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a huge slap on the wrist, and that's, that was it. And because of this, this is going to piss you off. So uh, we go. We knew about the Belinda thing that happened after this. Mm-hmm. But right after this part, because the Belinda thing will happen, you know, it was actually in, in, in it was not 73 it was 72 it was right after this but this happened too shortly after his arrest he ran into two girls one by the name of Susan Carroll 17 and Georgia Marie Jessup 16 the two had a long history of running away and mm. hanging out drinking beer with friends they were they were trying to be older than they should have been and doing the whole hippie lifestyle. Um, Schaefer had approached the girls one day and told them that he was a Colorado University student by the name of Jerry. Mm -hmm. He began to buy them beers. They were uh, enamored by him because he was an older guy taking interest in them. And they were hanging out for a couple weekends before uh, the date of September 27th, 1972. Schaefer abducted both teenagers, but on that day, um, he came by the house to pick them up. And the mother came home early from work. Her name was uh, Lucille. And she arrived and said, her, you know, her daughter, Susan, um, where are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, this is our friend Jerry. And he's a college kid and he's going to you know, take us on a road trip. We'll be back um, later on tomorrow or so. And... Um, you know, he introduced himself and she got a bad vibe by him. And mm. so when they were talking in the room, she went out, took a, a mental note and a picture of his car, including the, the license plate. Mm. And and she just had a bad feeling. And as they drove off in the 1969 Blue Dotson, she was not sure if she would ever see her, her kid again, let alone the other kid that they knew, Jessup, you know, her friend. And um, the next day came and went. They didn't return. Four days went by. 
and Lucille finally contacted Jessup's mother, the other girl, and asked if she had seen him or if they had come by. Nothing. Mm. So they reported, both parents reported to the Oakland uh, Park County Police Department on September 31st. Lucille provided the number, make, and model, and Jerry's name to the police. So what do you think happened next? They're doing an investigation on him? Nope. Go away. They just said, oh, well, your kids have a, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, a tendency. A tendency to run away. So they're likely runaways, and that's just a friend, and you'll see them again. They'll, you know, kids disappear. They come back and forth. Don't worry about it. Mm-mm-mm. And the truth was, he had promised Jerry, Jerry had promised the girls that he would take them to Colorado and that they could start over there, a new lifestyle, get away from their overbearing parents. You could live a hippie lifestyle with me. It's all college friends. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. And they both believed it. Mm. And so the mother would find a letter addressed to her about them running away to Colorado on, mm. on the next day. And so she was like, maybe the police are right. Until a month later, they never left Florida. Their bodies would be found in a marshy area about a few miles from their house. Mm. Yeah. Um, the two bodies, Susan... Both bodies, first off, were tied with their hands uh, behind their backs, with their backs against a tree, both of them, in the same area. Um, both uh, were decapitated. What the heck? Yeah. Susan's head was shot in the jaw, so she was killed first. And Georgia Jessup, her friend, had been butchered, tortured, um and bludgeoned before she was decapitated. Dang. Yeah. What the heck? Yo, so he's getting worse. He's getting worse. <clears throat> and this is all in between his time that he was bailed out. Mm. So then John would then abduct a 14-year-old Mary Alicia Briscolana and Alisa Lena Farmer, 14. So both girls were 14. Oh, man. They were hitchhiking on Commercial Boulevard, which is not too far from where the two bodies were found on Sunset or Sunrise Boulevard, where the other two girls I just described, their bodies were found. Mm-hmm. Um, their bodies, the two 14-year-olds would be found a week later with their legs spread wide open. And on one of them, the first girl that was 14, Mary, it was very sad because when they found her her fingernails were pretty much ripped off on both hands meaning she fought fiercely like she must have you know scratched her captor before she had been bludgeoned so bad her skull was bashed in gosh yeah damn and detectives found that the other girl uh, Lena Farmer the 14 year old must have been killed first. She received blunt force trauma to the head and she likely died first. The other one fought for her life. 
so they found both bodies posed there and there was some necrophilia stuff that took place after the fact too oh man Mm -hmm. so these attacks were in October of 72 November was when he went to trial for the kidnapping in November Mm -hmm. so he was facing major jail time though for the kidnapping charges that would probably get him about five years each so again it wasn't extreme but it was going to get five years plus the rape and assault charges right mm-hmm. now for whatever reason the the prosecution and the judge took the plea agreement from his lawyer. yes are you serious? He filed for a plea deal. And can you guess the time that he was sentenced to? One year. <laughs> yes. Really? He was given a one-year sentence with an opportunity of probation after six years. Or six years. Um, not probation, but being let out after six months and he would also get three years of probation and that's it get out he only got charged with assault on nancy not even sexual assault just assault get out yep the other drop the other charges were dropped (laughs) Mm, mm -mm. now here's another part that will piss you off so he got lucky and was bailed out and he committed those murders of five women in that span of time after the assaults on those two girls, right? Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, the judge said, you know what? It's that time of year. It's after Thanksgiving. You know, we're getting into the holiday time. Although you don't have kids and you are technically married and you have just been convicted of a major crime and Yes, you got off almost scot-free, but you still have to serve your time. Your sentence doesn't start till January of 73. So you oh, have, Lord. You have a month and a week to spend with your family. <laughs> I'm not making this up. That badge privilege, boy. <laughs> I'm telling you. they. I mean, I don't know who his lawyer is, but damn, if I ever get into trouble... I hope that dude's still alive because I will hire him. If it might be Johnny Cochran, now where he getting out of? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, come on! You've been found guilty in some sort of aspect. How are you not going to jail right away? Officer, uh, Officer Johnson needs to come out on this one. <laughs> I mean, this is Judge Johnson, D- District Attorney Johnson. <laughs> come on! <laughs> the prosecution's just all Johnsons. Dang. No way, man. Yeah. That's what happened. And because of this, because of this, he goes on another hunting trip. Mm. And not just any hunting trip, because, again, you're in Florida. He goes all the way to Sioux City, Iowa. Oh, wow. Yeah, Sioux City, Iowa. And unfortunately, he encounters Mary Good Eno and Barbara Ann Wilcox, both 19 years old. They were found, they were, he picked them up as hitchhikers 
And unfortunately, again, this was all in his journal. He didn't write their names exactly, but he wrote times, dates, and places, which put him right where those women disappeared. And in 1977, four years later, both bodies were found in a remote area of Sioux City, Iowa. Both bodies were still tied up in baling wire, and impressions around the tree had shown that they were tied up against the trees, likely sexually assaulted, and there was an orange crate that the bodies were in, like a long orange crate, mm-hmm. that they had footprints of their own footprints on top of the, the crate, meaning, and there was marks, ligature marks around their necks, so they were strangled while he either moved, you know, they were standing on the crate, then he moved the crate, then they strangled themselves, then he did all that other stuff to them, and then put their bodies in the crate. Mm. And they were also bludgeoned as well. Mm. So that was his vacation before he went into prison. Mm-mm-mm. Yep. So, so, so basically, the the system let seven women down pretty much because had he been arrested and not been post bail, he would have been serving time. Correct. Had they done their job from the start seven women would be alive Mm, mm, mm. and all the while lucille the mother of the one girl never gave up especially after her kids or her daughter and the uh, other friend were murdered she urged the police to finally take a look into jerry and when they finally did they realized his name was john they saw his past they saw that he was you know he likely almost killed these two other women then that's when they investigated. They ran into the, uh, they got the warrant for his home, and they began to find all the souvenirs. They began. Mm. They began to find his journals, over three hundred pages of stories, in his journals of death and destruction to women over the years. A little too late. A lot too late. <clears throat> and. Here's the thing. I mean, they found teeth, like I said. They found underwear. They found all kinds of stuff. And they found evidence that could tie him to 28 missing persons. 21 women and 7 men. Mm-mm-mm. But in the end, guess what? What? They were only able to tie him to Susan, which is uh, Susan Place, which is Lucille's daughter, and Mm -hmm. Georgia Jessup with undeniable evidence that he murdered both of them. So wait a minute. He was only charged for two? He was only charged for two. And the prosecutor in the case was so frustrated because they had so much evidence. The state did not want to prosecute for each additional uh, murder because either the evidence wasn't as strong enough in the Georgia Jessup and, and the, the other girl Susan's case, they said it would cost the, the state too much money to investigate each murder. And as long as they had him behind prison forever, that's all they cared about. And the prosecutor was like, dude, this guy made Ted Bundy look like a boy scout. Wow. Are you serious? Yep. So all that stuff in the journals, all the physical evidence and trophies, 
and they only charged him for two. Get. Uh-uh, uh-uh. It's like he gave them the recipe and they just said, eh, that's okay. Yeah, that's it. And and Teresa, by this time, finally, when she figured out all the stuff, then she def- decided to divorce him when he was found oh, guilty. Well. Yeah. Oh, well, it's too late now. Yeah, he and he only got he only got two life sentences. That's it. Wow. Two life sentences. And I'm sure if they would have charged him for the other murders, oh, I'm quite sure it may have been bumped up to uh, death penalty. Oh yeah, because Florida kills people. So like, yes, they do. Yeah. So <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. If he was found with one more case, absolutely, I think one more would have did it, dude. Then he would have really? been considered a serial killer. And they they could have they could have thrown the death penalty at him, but they didn't charge him for anything. That's weak. And so what happens is to wrap this little story up in a bow is that the next few years he was very cocky. He still felt that he got away with it, and he was going around telling people about his escapades. He was um, trying to also, but but on the inside, telling other inmates about what he'd done. And then he also would say, hey, you know what? Like, I'm innocent. Like, he was trying to get himself out of it. He's like, I know I can get out of this. So he started to then listen to other prisoners by telling his stories and trying to get them to tell him what they had done if they hadn't told the prosecution or the defense. That way, he would go as state's witness, and he started snitching on a lot of his inmates. Mm. And you know what happens to snitches? They get snitches. And in 1995, no stitches could uh, get his wounds. He was stabbed oh. to death by an inmate he snitched on. Oh. Yep. He was stabbed oh. over 40 times. Oh. Well, I'm just saying. Karma is a, you know what? Yeah, I mean, he got it in the end. But did he suffer a lot? We'll never know. But he was stabbed a gang of times by a fellow inmate. Um. But here's here's like what I'm gonna say right now. Like two, he was um, like he was only convicted for the two murders, like I mentioned before. But they do believe that Pamela Wells, 18, Nancy Trotter, 17, were his first victims. And then you got um, Susan Place, Georgia Jessup, in 1966. Actually, no, in 1966, they think that his first victims were Nancy Letter, who was 21, and Pamela Nader, who was 20. Both of them were bludgeoned to death uh, in Florida, and he had mementos of those two girls in his possession, plus in his journal he wrote about them. Mm. So those could have been his first ones outside of Pamela Wells and Nancy Trotter's, um, uh, you know, uh, their cases, and then the the, the Jessup murder, and, and, you know, so you, you have... You have these prior ones in 66, and then in 1969, September 8th, um, you know, you had the Lee, the, the Hayline girl that went missing that he knew, uh, Marie Haylock, 22, that was dating him. She went missing, so they, they found mementos of those two journal entries. And then here's one that'll get you right here, bro. Um, in December 29th of 1970, in his journal, he wrote about a nine-year-old Peggy and a, a Peggy Ron and a Wendy Stevenson, nine years old. Uh, they were friends. 
that he kidnapped and wrote about in his journal saying that he sexually abused them mm. and he did Albert Fish type cannibalism stuff that you did a story on Maddie Matt a year ago or so I remember um, Albert Fish yeah I think a lot of people do um, but he did he was a crime enthusiast and he loved horror stuff and so he knew about what Albert Fish did and he professes to have eaten both of those girls both of which were never found wow man yep and he also had like I said writings of Belinda the escort Um, so they they think that that was another one in February 29th that same year a Sue Lowe 13 year old was written about in his his, uh, stuff as well she would be um, uh, never found either uh, but suspected of being murdered um, and then we talked about the two girls that were 14 that were bludgeoned and then also uh, the, the two 19 year olds. So again, police think and, and um, that he was responsible between 20 to 28 murders, but he was only charged with two. Mm. 20, you said 28, 28 and only charged with two, only charged with two. Yeah. Yeah, man. He, I'm not wishing death on anybody. You know, you know how it is. But uh, he got what he deserved, and he got that jail justice. So he didn't get away with it. He did. He was he was a cocky bastard, dude. I mean, any way you slice it, um, if you look at oh, it, but they sliced it all right. Yeah, exactly. But if you look at the pictures, which I'll post, he has this. Like you thought you saw a smirk from the one, the John Wayne Gacy. Like this, this guy's got a. Like an I don't care attitude. Like all the way. Mm. Very smug. Mm-mm-mm. Freaking bastard, man. Yep, that's the story, my man. What do you think? The dude was sick. That's what I think. And then for the nine-year-olds, bro. Yep. A bunch of twists in this one, unfortunately. It was definitely a bunch of twists, man. It was definitely a bunch of twists. But this guy, I mean, he pretty much wrote everything he did. What what more evidence do you need? The man didn't write a book. <laughs> this is his life story. Come on now. Absolutely. And here's the thing that I don't get is literally if you see like evidence like this, even back in the day that you should have been prosecuted for, it because if you know more than the police, if you have intimate details about a crime, that they're not like the stuff that he was writing about only the murderer would know exactly and and, and like the police that's it you know so it's not like he's guessing he read a newspaper article and was like yeah you know i i put their bodies in the trash can like the article said you know like like he's writing in detail what happened to him and it's truthful you know and he's even got and even if you don't find the bodies he's got stuff that belongs to them how is he coming into possession of that stuff facts Facts. Yeah. Yeah, man. They they dropped the ball on this one. Oh yeah. Big time. This is like hundred percent Johnsons all around. All around. Because them numbers should have been narrowed down more than half mm-hmm. if they did the right thing. Yep. Yeah, man. This one sucks. This right. is just. 
this was just in a time period, bro, where like the policing was just so terrible. I mean, he got away with it, man. He got, you know, he, he had his good looks, blue eyes, and he had his charm. He had a uniform. He he flashed his privilege. <laughs> he, did. he did. It's unfortunate. So, yeah, but I mean, he he can only go so far, and like like we say, that jail justice, man, came came full circle. It did. So he got what he deserved, and I'm sure them stab wounds were not, you know. I'm sure he suffered because he he probably was alive from all 41. I hope he did. I really yeah. hope he did, man. Like that's I, like, I, we're always thinking the opposite for the victims, but man, when it comes to the the actual people that commit these atrocities, they deserve perfect. every bit. Yep. Yep. Because uh, nobody deserves that, and he got what he deserved. So. Mm-hmm. Dang. Well. Thank you, Todd Fox, for breaking down that story. And thank you guys for listening in to Grinding True Crime Podcast. Um, we're going to cut it to an end right here, but real quick, brief um, announcement. Um, if you guys want to hear uh, more of our stories and want to follow us, you can go to YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. Just type in Grinding True Crimes. Uh, follow our page there. Like our page. Leave a comment on our page. We will greatly appreciate that. And also, if you want to just continue to listen to us, uh, go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, Podvine, and Zencaster. And for those outside of the U.S., continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. All right, T. Dan. All that being said, this has been Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, and Todd Fox. And Gabby Gab, hopefully, will she'll be there tomorrow for sure, so you guys can know. You'll listen to her on that one. But uh, letting you guys know, we're out of here. So, peace. I think this is where she says toodles. <laughs> and you say. Hey, y'all come back here because we didn't have enough Johnsons on this show. We need some more. <laughs>